You know, just as we were worshipping God there, Psalm 23, verses 5 and 6 came to my mind. It talks about the Lord is my shepherd and I go through a valley. And it says later, surely goodness and mercy follow me. I want to tell you, don't judge God's love for you by your present circumstance. You might say, oh, looking all around me, things aren't good. Well, I'm telling you, look behind you because goodness and mercy is following you. God's going to chase you down with blessings. Don't judge God's character according to your present circumstance. That's why we worship him when we don't feel like it. That's why we worship him when things aren't always going right. Because in spite of all that, we serve a good God and goodness and mercy will follow us. So why don't we give him some praise right now? For he is worthy of all our praise. We worship you, God. Exalt your Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Turn the person next to you and say, G'day, mate. Happy Australia Day. I've never heard so much nasal twang from the stage in all my life. Fantastic. You may be seated. Thank you, worship team. You guys are awesome. Let's give me a round of applause. And, uh, and I must say, incredibly good looking as well. And uh, it's really nice. It's a lot easier to worship God uh, when you have... Oh, excuse me. Uh, it's a lot easier to worship God when you have a good looking worship team. You know, I've visited other churches, preached other places. And to be perfectly honest, it's not always easy. Uh, because you look at the worship team and you think to myself, oh my Lord, they're not very good looking, are they? And so it's so good uh, to come home and uh, to have such a good looking worship team. It's just absolutely awesome. Also too, uh, happy Chinese New Year uh, for the Chinese present. And uh, apparently this year is the year of the rat, uh, which surprises me because South Africa won the World Cup last year. So anyway, uh, pra praise God, please protect me after this. Uh, That'd be wonderful, but wonderful to see you. So good to be in the house of the Lord, and uh, I know God's got great things for us as we get around God's Word. Amen. If you've got your Bibles, uh, turn with me uh, to the book of Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 54. Isaiah 54, I'm going to read verses 1 to 3. Isaiah 54, verses 1 to 3, it says this. Sing, O barren, you who have not born. Break forth in a singing and cry aloud, you have not laboured with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent. Let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you shall expand to the right and to the left, and your descendants will inherit the nations and make the des desolate cities inhabited. Right now I'm in a series called Get Your Hopes Up. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I just ask and pray right now that you would just uh, speak to us, Lord God, and that you would help us to lift our eyes to see that, what, that which you have for us. I thank you and praise you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Uh, amen. Amen. Uh, before I preach, I just noticed, um, and they might have been introduced before, uh, some good friends of mine from old Bible college days. Oh, I just see now Gavin and Emma Brett are here. Did you see they were here, Darwin? Yeah, they're there. So uh, these are great friends of mine, pastors down in country New South Wales. And are you up here on holidays? Awesome. Yeah, we're, we're your holiday church. So could you guys stand? I want to welcome, welcome them and welcome them today. And uh, so good to see you. And I actually felt God give me a word for you. Uh, and that was this. It's a season change. Uh, that literally, you know, winter doesn't last forever. And there's a season change. There's some external circumstances around you that are shifting in your way. 
uh, that literally there are some winds of momentum and advantage coming into your life. And you're going to see that, and that is now turning around. There was things beyond your control that you could not shift, that now the season is changing and the climate is changing in your life and ministry. Father, I just thank you for them, and I just pray that you release that over them, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, back on January 5, uh, started a series called Get Your Hopes Up um, out of Isaiah 54. So at the start of the last couple of years, and I feel like this is becoming a bit of a pattern, the first kind of quarter of the year is kind of like a passage that I feel is for the life of our church for that year, kind of like a prophetic passage and almost like a visionary passage. So next week, uh, we are having Vision Sunday as we do each year, and that is kind of part of the pieces of what I feel that God has for us. And so last year, we actually talked about the prayer of Jabez, how I felt that that was something for the life of our church and also something for the lives of the people in our church. This year, I actually feel it's Isaiah 54. Now, Isaiah 54 was written by the prophet Isaiah and it was a prophecy. And so there can be multiple interpretations and multi-layered. But essentially, it's a prophecy for God's people. So what that means is if you're one of God's people, this is something that can certainly apply for you. And I believe that a number of the promises that are spoken about here in Isaiah 54 are actually promises for our church this year and also promises for people uh, in the lives of our church. And here it says at the start of Isaiah 54 verse 1, he says, sing, O barren. I reckon one of the worst things you can do to someone who is unable to have children and maybe they just had the pregnancy test and it failed again. To have someone butt in and say, sing. I mean, like, that is probably the last thing they actually want to hear. And so here is the prophet saying to the people of Israel, sing, O barren. Why is he saying that? Because he is saying God's about to do something great in your life. Have you ever noticed that sometimes at your lowest point, that's when God gives you an incredible promise for your future? That often at your lowest point when things don't seem to be going well, that that's the time when God will speak something into existence in your life. And he speaks to a people that are barren. He is saying, sing. What's he saying? He's saying, people, get your hopes up. Don't get your hopes up according to your present circumstances. Don't let your past dictate your future. God has given you a word and now is the time to get your hopes up. So even before you see it, even before you experience, he is saying to a barren, discouraged woman, sing, for more are the children of the desolate than those of the married woman. So not only does he tell her to sing, he gives her a promise that is beyond her expectations. I would have thought that a woman like this would have been happy with just one. You know, Lord, just give me one. You know, I'm barren. I'll be just happy with one. And if you gave me one, I would treat that child like it's the greatest thing on earth. But he doesn't say to her, yes, God's going to give you one. He says God is going to give you more than the married woman. So he is not just talking about addition there. He's actually talking about multiplication. And so in January 5, I talked about multiplication. What is multiplication? Multiplication is when God does something that exceeds your experience and also your expectations. It's bigger than your past and it's beyond what you can actually foresee for your future. 
That's actually what he promises here. And he says to her that you will have more children than the married woman. She probably did, would have been happy with just one. But he is saying God is going to do for you even greater than you've experienced and more than what you were actually hopeful. That is the God that we serve. No eye has seen nor ear heard or mind can conceive a God has planned for those that love them. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask or think. That is the God that we serve. And he says to him, before I do all that, sing. And then he says in verse 2, he says, enlarge the place of your tent. Let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you shall expand to the right and to the left. And your descendants will inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabited. This is interesting. Verse 1 is a promise. More are the children of the desolate than the married woman. Verse 3 is a promise. You're going to expand to the left and to the right, and your descendants will inhabit the desolate cities. But verse 2 is an action. He's saying, I am going to do this. This is the promise for your life. Now, I need you to do something as well. God is not like a fairy godmother who comes and just gives you your three wishes and just drops them into your world. That there are many times in our life when God makes us a promise, we have to do something in order to access that promise. If we're going to be people who live by faith, not only do we have to believe God's Word, but there are times when we have to actually action it. And it's when you action it that you see those things drop into our life. He is not saying, sing, O Baron, just sit there and I'm just going to plop all these children on your lap. He is saying, oh, you're going to sing. This is the promise for you. And I want you to enlarge to stretch, to lengthen, and then strengthen. And then you're going to expand and your descendants will inhabit the desolate cities. That is actually what he says. Verse 2 is actually an action. The Bible says the promise in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20, the promises of God are yes. They're available. But the NIV says, and the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. What does that mean? God's promises are available but there's something we need to do to draw it into our world. And so when God, He partners with us, we walk by faith and not by sight. And so here He is saying, I'm going to do this and you're going to get this, but in the meantime, I need you to do this. Enlarge, stretch, lengthen, and strengthen. I would have thought if you're talking to someone who's discouraged, who's disappointed, the last thing they want to do is anything. Thanks, God. Awesome. I'll wait here for you to bring it to me. That's not what he says. He comes at your low moments sometimes and says, get up. Now's the time to get your hopes up. Now's the time to sing, give a sacrifice of praise. Because you are now positioned for what God has for you. And you're going to find whatever you've got to lengthen, strengthen, to, expand, to, um, to stretch, and to enlarge. Comes to someone who may be feeling weak. And he says, this is what I want you to do. So have you found God is so inconvenient? That he doesn't actually care sometimes. Like, he'll come to us and say, I want you to do this. And it's like, well, how am I going? And he, he's not really interested. It's kind of like a command, not a suggestion. And so often he will ask us to do things and to stretch even at times when we literally do not feel like it. And so I want to talk to you today about some attitudes that we need to keep at bay 
when it comes to fulfilling God's promises. Another way of putting it, attitudes that can stop us from receiving all that God has for us. Because he is asking her to do something. He's asking her to enlarge. He's asking her to lengthen. He's asking her to stretch. He's asking her to strengthen. And it's totally on her if she does it. And there could be some things on the inside, some attitudes stopping her from doing what God actually has for her. And so I want to talk to you today about three attitudes that we need to keep at bay, three attitudes that can actually stop us from receiving all that God has for us. The first one is this, and that is futility. Futility. We need to keep at bay an attitude of futility. God says, enlarge the place of your tent. Why? I've tried before. Why even bother? Stretch. Why would I stretch? Every time I put my hand out, it gets slapped. Why would I even bother? What's happened? Sometimes our past experiences can limit our ability to actually receive, God, receive from God. I told you last year the story out of Luke 5 when Jesus actually borrowed Simon Peter's boat. So what had happened was that Simon Peter was uh, out fishing uh, with his workers and then had finished and hadn't caught a thing. And so then they were washing their nets on the shore. They were tidying up. They were finishing off. Jesus wanted to actually preach at a crusade and all these thousands of people were following him. So he thought the best way to do that was to go out on the lake and use that to amplify his voice so he could speak to everybody. And so he went to Peter and he said to him, listen, can I borrow your boat? And, and so Peter said, sure, Lord, borrow the boat. They went out. And then Peter, oh sorry, and then Jesus preached to the surrounding people that had gathered. At the end of it, Jesus says to Peter, because he wanted to bless Peter, because Peter had made space for him and Jesus' heart was to bless. I love the fact that we have a God who's an easy blesser. And so he says to him, he says, let down your nets for a catch. So what Jesus is saying is if you let down the nets, you've got to catch and you're just going to get a nice little bonus there. Now, Peter says to him, now it depends on the translation of the Bible that you read. In the NIV translation, Peter says to Jesus, oh, Jesus says to Peter, Peter, let down your nets for a catch. In the NIV, it says, uh, Peter says, Lord, I fished hard all night, caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I'll let down the nets. But in the New King James Version, it's actually different. And so he says to him, let down your nets for a catch. And then Peter responded and said, Lord, we fished hard all night, caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I'll let down the net. Singular. And so that's a really big difference. So, um, and so the, uh, the New Testament is written in Cornonia Greek. And so I'm not a Greek scholar, uh, but did grow up in Melbourne. And so because of that, <laughs> do understand a lot of Greek words, not necessarily found in the Bible. Uh, and, um, but I do know enough to look at a Greek New Testament and tell the difference between a singular and a plural. And it actually says, Jesus says to Peter, Peter, let down your nets for a catch. Peter said, Lord, we've fished hard all night, caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I'll let down one net. Why did he do that? I thought it was futile. Seriously, I'm a fisherman. I've been fishing. I know that right now there's nothing in here. And, you know, no offense, preacher. But all you do is, you know, work one day a week and sit in your office. I mean, I'm out here. I'm out here day and night, mate. 
This was my, I'm the expert. Yep, yep. Yeah. No, but seriously, mate, you know, do you know the overtime? I've already paid overtime for these guys. Like, I've allowed them to stay, I'm paying overtime. Now I've got to pay them some more overtime. I've already lost money on time. Where am I going to get the rest of the money? I can imagine him talking to the crew. Hey, guys, um, you know, um, the pastor said we should let down uh, our nets. For, look, I know he doesn't know what he's talking about, okay? Um, but you know, I know your missus thinks you were coming home earlier. Talk to her, but I just think it would be wrong for us to disrespect him to his face. And so let's just um, let down, you know, look, I'll tell you what, boys, we'll let down one net, one net, and I'll pay you time and a half. Okay, I'll find it somewhere, all right? No worries, Lord. <laughs> we fished hard all night, caught nothing. Nevertheless, that's your word. I'll let down the net, one net. He lets down the net, paying lip service because his past experience told him he is not going to experience what God had promised him. And he lets down the net and it's like, hey boys, get on the end of this. Radio the other guys. It's funny, I've got a lot of this in my mind because on the holidays I was watching World's Deadliest Catch a lot. Uh, so <laughs> Discovery Channel's awesome. Uh, and so... And the Bible said they got all the other boats and they brought it in. I could imagine every staff has one smart aleck. Okay? I could imagine one of the guys going up to Peter saying, hey, boss. Peter said, don't even say it, mate. Do not even go there. Hey, boss, I bet you wish you had to let down all the nets, huh? (laughs) Right, you're fired. Get out of here. Why did he not do what God told him to do? Because his past experience told him it's not going to work. We cannot let our past failures cause us to have an attitude of futility for when God does call us to do something. So many of us are preconditioned and trained by our past experiences and environment. And God doesn't care about any of that. He comes in the middle. Sing, O Baron. How rude. For more are the children of you, of the desolate, than those who actually have a husband. That is actually what he's saying there. He is telling her to get her hopes up. And now I want you to put that to action. I want you to lengthen. I want you to strengthen. I want you to stretch. And I actually want you to enlarge. We can't allow our past circumstances and past bad experience to dictate the prophetic future that God actually has for us. If you look through Scripture, so often God comes to people at their lowest moments. He comes to Moses when he had lost everything and then he was only serving his father-in-law, looking after his sheep for 40 years, and then instantly overnight he goes and leads millions of people and God's people. So often God will come to us at those moments where we're feeling down and we need to have the strength of character and just make a firm quality decision that when God speaks to me, regardless of how barren I feel, I'm going to open up my mouth and sing. Amen. You know, uh, have you ever seen a flea circus? You know, you can have like this little cage or little box and the fleas jump around and you think to yourself, how do the fleas actually, why don't they fly out? They could get out anytime they want. Just fly away, take the lid off and they could just fly away. 
Why is it that they don't do that? How do they get trained and conditioned? What happens is they get some fleas and put them in a box. Leave the lid on it. Flea tries to get out. Keeps crashing, banging into the ceiling. And starts realising over time, this is as far as I can go, no more. And so it rises to just below that ceiling. So eventually, after it's been preconditioned, when the lid is removed and there's actual freedom, they don't go beyond it because their past experience tells them it's not even worth trying. And I don't know who I'm talking to. I'm spending way longer on this point than I did at Pimpermart. But there is somebody here and God has spoken to you something. You're saying, I failed at that in the past. What are you talking about? This is how it is for me. And God wants you to know, even though your past experience has been barren, it's time to sing. Do not let an attitude of futility enter your heart or stop you from obeying God and enlarging, stretching, lengthening, and strengthening. The second thing, second attitude we keep at bay. That's why, actually, we need to be a church that's constantly encouraging others. Because the thing that will rob people of their strength is discouragement. Encourage, put courage in. Discouragement, take courage out. This world so often removes courage from people's hearts. Where is the one place that they should be able to get it at any time? when they come to the house of God, when they experience that encouragement so that when they go out there to live by faith, they will have the strength and the fortitude to be able to step out into all that God has for them. The second thing uh, is the second attitude we need to keep at bay is security. Security. You need to leave your comfort zones. He says to this barren woman, stretch. Put yourself out there. Come out of your comfort zones. It reminds me of when Jesus was in the temple and there was a man with a withered hand. And the man with a withered hand would have had it kind of like half hidden, half behind him. Jesus says to him, stretch out your hand. If I was the guy with a withered hand, I would have probably gone... No, the other one. No, I didn't say pop out your hand. Stretch it. I'm putting myself out there. I'm out of my comfort zone. Now I'm getting hopes up. I'm putting myself in a position where if this fails, it's going to hurt me. And that's when Jesus healed him. So often we need a stretch outside of our comfort zones. Says to the barren woman, sing. God, do I have to sing? Like, seriously, can I just be quiet and you just give me the child? And then later on I'll sing and I'll tell everyone. And he says, no, 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 I want you to prophetically right now sing. I want you to do that right now. And I want you to stretch. I want you to come out of your comfort zone. I want you to lengthen. And I want you to strengthen. And that means coming out of our comfort zone. If you look through the scripture, the amount of times people got breakthroughs and miracles outside of their point of comfort, it's absolutely incredible. So many times people stretched outside of their comfort zone. In, when they stretched out of their comfort zone, that's when they stepped into God's promise. Abraham is known as the God of, and God is known, sorry, as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we know in the story that in Genesis 11, God says to Abraham, leave your father's house 
to a land that, and, and your family and your father's house and your country and go to a land that I will show you. And he started the journey of the Israelite people essentially towards the promised land. The promised land being, as we talked about in January 5, the promised land being Canaan. And so here, he, God says that to him and he steps out. He leaves behind his family. He leaves behind all of that and he goes and does that and he is now known as the father uh, of many nations. But interestingly enough, if you read the scripture, before Abraham, Abraham had a father named Terah, T-E-R-A-H. And the scripture says, Terah left Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. So he was actually going to be the one going towards the promised land. But the Bible said that on the way there, he settled in Haran. And he stayed there the rest of his life. He was supposed to go all the way to Canaan, but he settled in Haran. And because of that, he actually missed the opportunity for God to call himself the father of Terah, Abraham and Isaac because he didn't fully do all that God wanted him to do. I'm sure Haran was nice. It must have been nice for him to want to settle there. I'm sure they probably had children there and life was comfortable and thought, you know what? Let's not go any further. This is nice the way things are. Let's just keep it the way it is. But he actually missed his prophetic destiny as a result. The window actually closed. That generation was bypassed. And his son, the next generation, actually stepped into that fulfillment. There are times in our life, and I have experienced this personally, where God gives us windows of opportunity to step into. And so there are times that if we don't do the, what he requires, the lengthen and the strengthen and the enlargement and the stretching, if we don't do that, we can actually miss what actually God has for us. I've experienced that in my life uh, a couple of times. Uh, a number of years ago, uh, when I was a youth pastor in Mackay, uh, had a very, very small youth group, and, and, and I was asked to be the leader of Youth Alive in central Queensland. And, and the reason was basically because I was the only AOG youth leader in that area. So it wasn't like they saw potential in me. It wasn't like that they saw that I was really succeeding. They just saw, you know, I was the only choice, okay? And so, and when you run Youth Alive, you're supposed to put on a rally and you're, an evangelistic rally usually costs a lot of money and you've got to source all the money locally. I had a youth group of about 20 kids. And so when I got asked to do that, I thought, man, okay, the rally was a big faith stretch for me. And so I thought to myself, I thought, what I'll do is this. I won't do a rally. In my first year, it was, um, the year I got appointed was 2001. I said, I won't do it this year, the rally, because I already had a conference that I was going to do, uh, and which is still going now today, actually, praise God. And, so, and that was going to cost uh, a lot of money. And I thought, I'll do the conference this year. The next year, I'll actually do a rally. Then I got a phone call from the state director of Youth Alive, a man by the name of Peter Blas. And he rings me up and he says, Ben, um, I just want, he goes, um, just want to know, what are you doing about the rally in Mackay? I said, oh, you know, finance is a bit tough. I've got, co got a conference that we're doing now. I was thinking of maybe doing it next year. He said, listen, I want to help you. He said, we're doing our state rally um, in Brisbane. We'll have 10,000 kids at it. And he said, the speaker will preach on the Saturday. But I thought what we could do to help you get help you along is we could send you the speaker for the Friday and he can do your rally and it won't cost you anything, Ben. He said, we'll pay for that where we're at. And I said, when's the date? And the date was going to be three weeks after the conference 
that we were going to do. And I thought, man, I've got to come up with the money with the conference, and then we're going to have to come up with the money for the rally. And I thought, I said, oh, mate, this is really tight. He said, Ben, this is a really good opportunity. He said, this guy's really high in demand. He's the number one high school speaker in America. I said, what's his name? He goes, his name's Reggie Dabbs. Uh, and I said, oh, I've never heard of him. Uh, and so, and so, and, and then I was in church that Sunday, and I really felt God speak to me and said, go do it, do it, do it. And I thought, oh, I was panicking. Then I had a little committee meeting with my Youth Alive committee. Uh, and uh, I said, guys, this is an opportunity to come up. I don't know. It's pretty tight. What do you guys think? And they said, oh, no. Look, we do at the conference three weeks beforehand. It's going to be too hard. Let's say no. So I rang up the state director and I said, listen, thank you for the opportunity. Uh, and even though before that I really felt to go for it. And I said, look, no, I'm, I'm not going to do it. He goes, you sure? I said, yeah, don't worry about it. So I forgot all about that. We had our first conference. Uh, we had about 80 kids turn up. I've told you a story before. We had a miracle offering there, and the miracle was $9,000. Uh, and, and this was pre-credit card days, um, so it was all cash and checks. I remember going to the bank on the Monday, and the bag broke as I was putting it into the deposit chute. And that's what you know, press down, shaking together and running over, you know what I mean? So it, wa it was incredible. And I remember at the time thinking to myself, oh, I could do the rally now. I can afford to do the rally. So I rang up uh, the state director, Peter Blast. I said, Pete, um, actually, I've changed my mind. I'd like to do the rally now. Uh, is Reggie available? He said, sorry, Ben, can't do it now. I said, oh, okay. Next year, I rang up, hey, listen, if Reggie's in Australia, could he come up to my Sorry, Ben, can't. Five years, I asked for Reggie Dabs to come, and he never came once. He came the year after I left. I missed, my I missed my opportunity. Praise God, God's given me a second chance. So this year at our church together, we're going to do another church together here, get the campuses in. Guess who our speaker is? Reggie Dabbs. Uh, that's going to be on like June 7. It's going to be awesome. But I've been waiting 20 years for this, and I wouldn't have had to wait if I had just stretched when God told me to. Do not allow security to stop you from stepping in to what God actually has for you. Amen. The third one uh, is this. The third one is, the third attitude we've got to keep at bay is complacency. Complacency. Oh, well, you know, God's going to do it and everything's available in Christ. And so I'll just wait till he drops it into my life. And he'll fight all my battles. I won't do anything. And I'll just sit and I'll wait forever until he actually drops into my life what he promised. We need to understand he speaks it, he says it, we respond. The promises of God are yes and the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God, amen. Sometimes we can think that God's told us that's all we need to do. We just leave it. The Bible says the promises of God are inherited through faith and through patience. Now, the thing about faith is this. If we think about hope, the Bible says these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. So these are really three key significant values to the kingdom of God. He said these three things remain. Burn it all up, these three things remain. Faith, hope, and love. And if we think of love, love is like an atmosphere. If we think of hope, hope is an attitude. 
It's that positive, life-giving attitude just constantly founded upon God's character. But faith, faith is an action. Faith is an action. Promises of God are inherited through faith and patience. So what that means is there's often things we have to do to actually get that. And if we are complacent, sit back and wait for God to bring it, sometimes we can actually miss what God actually has for us. Promises God inherited through faith. Faith is an action. If you look through Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about the heroes of the faith. By faith, such and such did this. By faith, such and such did that. Faith was an action. They did something to demonstrate their faith. The Bible says in James, faith without works is death. I mean, is dead. And so faith is actually an action and it's also language. The confession of our faith. Notice this, what happens here in Isaiah 54, 1 to 3. First thing he says is, sing. Words. Sing, O barren. And he makes a promise. And that's the second thing, next thing he says, action. Lengthen, strengthen, enlarge, stretch. We need to do. We need to understand that through Christ, the promises of God are yes. They are available to us. But the amen is spoken by us. We need to respond and not be complacent. I have had moments in my life where literally God had made me a promise, had kind of intimated to me what I needed to do to access it and forgot about what I needed to do. And I kept waiting on God to bring his promise. And yet it wasn't until I would actually do the residual action that actually got me to step into that promise. Sometimes we forget. Maybe you're in this place and God has given you a great promise and you've forgotten the thing he wanted you to do to, in order to access it. Faith is a language and faith is also an action. And he says here, lengthen, strengthen, enlarge, stretch. Don't be complacent. Don't wait. Prepare right now. Do it by faith right now. I love the story of Noah. Noah built the ark approximately, took him about 120 years. He'd never experienced a flood before, and I'm sure the flood that came exceeded his expectation. But God waited till he finished building the ark. It was almost on Noah how long they waited till it came, because God was not going to send the flood without Noah first finishing the ark. How do I know this? Because when they all got on the ark, the one thing that Noah had forgotten was how to close the door. They didn't have hydraulics. Bible says God closed the door. God closed the door, then the rain came. It wasn't like, quick, the rain's coming, let's finish the ark. God would have been waiting for him to finish what he was supposed to do before God did the next thing. That's good preaching, amen. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Complacency. Oh, God will do it. He told me, you know, I've written it in my Bible. I got it on my fridge magnet. He told me, he told me. That's good. But there's some things we need to do as well, amen? And if we do that, he says, lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes. And the byproduct of that is you'll expand. He said multiplication before, but now he's saying expansion. You'll expand to the left and to the right, and your descendants will inherit the desolate cities. Amen? God promises. We do what we do. 
Guard our heart, guard our attitude, keep the futility, keep the disappointment, keep the complacency, keep the security, keep all those things out. Keep doing what he's called you to do. That's why David says in Psalm 37, he says, wait on the Lord and keep his way. Keep doing what he's called you to do. Don't stop. And eventually, he'll exalt you to inherit the land. Amen? I prophesy over you. Sing, O barren. You who are without child. Just in case, just to get her attention. Sing, O barren. Oh, he's not talking to me. You without child. More are the children of the desolate than the married woman. Now you do this, and it's going to happen. Amen? So I feel right now, we need to sing. I think we need to raise a hallelujah. In the face of some of our obstacles, in the face of some of the things, you might be saying, Ben, you're saying all this stuff. I can't see it. Don't worry. Goodness and mercy follows you. You can't see it, but it's coming. And before we even see it, we walk by faith, not by sight. Before we even see it, we're going to sing. We're going to do what God called us to do. Amen? So I think before we go and do what God's called us to do, we better sing. I don't feel like singing. I don't care, barren woman. Open up your mouth and sing. Don't feel like it today. The promise is now. Sing. And when you sing, and when you do, you'll inherit what God has. Amen? So with every eye open and every head up, (laughs) stand to your feet. Lift your hands. We're going to raise a hallelujah in this place. Sing, O barren. I don't care if you're barren. Sing anyway. Don't care if you're disappointed. Sing anyway. It's coming. His promises are coming. He's an awesome God. Let's worship Him.